You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. Now if you're new here, what we've been doing is looking through this book that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And when I began this many months ago, uh, this is now the 48th sermon on it, who's counting, and uh, I entitled it A Message for the Church in Scotland, and I think that's what it is. We've looked at lots of important issues, God's promises, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, the glory of Christ, the weakness of believers, the glory of heaven, the lifestyles we are to live, the importance of giving, the opposition that we face. Well, what we look at this morning is important for those of us who are involved in Christian leadership, all of us who are involved in the church, and those of you who are not yet Christians, because we are going to look at the question of Christian leadership. Um, For those of you who don't know him, there's a very talented young man in our congregation called David McLeod. Uh, Davey is here somewhere, I'm pretty sure. He's there. He's sitting right there. And right behind him is a man who needs to have a few words with him, uh, because, uh, because don't let this ever happen, Davy sometimes gets inspired to draw cartoons of people, and he's drawn a cartoon of a certain uh, Mr. Ferguson, uh, which uh, portrays him as a superhero, um, and I, I, I was too late to get it up on the screen, but you can get it on Facebook. That is the impression that sometimes people have of those who are involved in Christian leadership. They have to be superheroes. I once got an amazing application form from two 17-year-old girls from the U.S. who are applying to come on a mission. And when they were asked for their reason, they stated, we want to come and provide leadership for the church in Scotland. And I thought, you're 17 years old. You want to provide leadership. But it seems almost as though, you know, everyone's got to be in, in to leadership. And the Bible has a very, very different aspect of this. And uh, those of you who are elders in the congregation here, um, there's something that John Calvin says that I'll tell you later on that will make you realize what a, a serious and solemn responsibility it is. The fact is, we are not led by superheroes. The fact is that even when you go into the Bible and you look at people like Paul and others... They were not superheroes. The church in Corinth had given some pretty harsh criticisms of Paul. Back in chapter 10, for example, in verse 10, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now, those words were put in quotation marks. These were things that were being written and being said about Paul. I think when you go through this, though, you find that there is something that is really intriguing about their criticism of Paul, and it's this. Paul is too normal. He's not spiritual enough. The Greeks wanted their spiritual leaders to be like their their civic leaders, powerful, healthy, vigorous, dynamic personalities, self-confident. In Greek culture... Humility was actually seen as a weakness and a vice. You had to be able to boast. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the pastor of the most successful church in the U.S., Joel Osteen. 
I mean, he's perfect. He's got perfect shiny teeth and he's, he's healthy and wealthy and a, a wonderful family. And, and when he preaches about God blessing and God giving success, everyone sees it when he preaches it. It's very attractive to many people. Paul wasn't like that. He didn't come across like that. In this church, there was a very, was a very famous minister called McShane. Now, if you know the McShane of folklore and legend, then he's the godliest man who ever lived on the earth. Growing up in the free church, I thought that McShane's uh, first name was godly because he was always, when quoted, the godly Robert Murray McShane, the godly Robert Murray McShane. You know, and I am, some of you know that I, I did some work on him and do you know what I was so delighted to discover was that he was normal that a lot of the myth was exactly just myth. He was a very godly man, yes, and a very spiritual man. Um, but his preaching wasn't considered to be all that great. He had a couple of breakdowns. He struggled with various sins and difficulties. But people want this image, the saintly minister. Or um, think of a brother who's just died, Ian Paisley, and he, is, he was a brother and is now with the Lord. But people were drawn to him in some ways precisely for the reason that other people were repelled by him. He was a big, strong man, very certain of everything. Ironically, if you listen to some of the later interviews with him towards the end of his days, it's a very, very changed person and in some ways a much more attractive person. But that's what Lots of people want or what they think. And, and that's what they wanted in Corinth, in the Corinthian church. Paul was being criticized for not being impressive, for not being a great speaker, for just being too normal. He made tents. He didn't charge for his, his sermons. What was wrong with him? And so Paul is going on to deal with this, and he'll go on into chapter 12 to deal with the kind of super spiritual aspect of it, but I want to deal just with these last uh, verses, the second half of chapter 11. So let me read these first few from verse 16. I repeat, he says, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Paul gives us a picture of the wrong kind of leadership, the wrong kind of pastor. And it's, this is hugely tied in with, with with irony and sarcasm. Uh, sometimes people will say, oh, I didn't like that. You, that was sarcastic. It wasn't very Christian. Like, oh, okay, Paul did it and Jesus did it and Elijah did it. Um, this is a supreme example of that. Here's Paul uh, being somewhat, I, I think almost somewhat bitter about this picture that they have of the leader. I suspect that they would have criticized Paul for this too. They would say, Paul, your letters are weighty and forceful. They're a bit strong. That's not how a loving Christian should speak. But he, he gives them three ways that Christian leadership should not be, and yet it often is. Firstly, enslavement, verse 20. 
In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you. Religion can be incredibly dangerous. Politics can be dangerous. Beware of people with a Messiah complex. Some of you are old enough to uh, know this. Others of you will know, will, will know the reference but won't understand it. Uh, when if someone said to you, make sure you don't drink the Kool-Aid. Now, supposing you were coming to this church for the first time and people said, hey, don't touch the Kool-Aid. Well, we don't have Kool-Aid. We have communion wine. But what are they referring to? What they're referring to is an incident that occurred in uh, 1978 where a man called Jim Jones took uh, all his followers in a particular cult down to Jonestown, Guyana. And 909 of them died when they drank Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide and other poison. Many of them who drank it knew what they were doing, knew that they were committing suicide. How did they get so caught up that they were prepared to commit suicide on the say-so of a megalomaniac? They were enslaved. Now, that's not what happens in the church. But what can happen is that people can demand a degree of loyalty that makes the church uh, or, or the pastor or the leadership in the church the most important thing. I listened to a sermon not so long ago that horrified me because the pastor spoke about adultery and said, it doesn't really matter, God will forgive you. And then spent about 35 minutes hammering the congregation for not being loyal to him. And you think, what, what are you doing? It's not about loyalty. It's not about enslavement. There are people who will come into church, and you might be a visitor here, and you think, whoa, if I get involved in this, what's it going to be like? I hope it's freeing and empowering rather than enslaving. Exploitation, he says. Someone who enslaves you or exploits you. That's a kind of manipulation in different ways. Sometimes you will get church leaders who will manipulate in order to get finance or money from you. And a lot of it will be personally for themselves. That is entirely wrong. Or sexual. Sometimes a leader can act as a counselor and get very, very close to somebody of the opposite sex. And they can be very attracted to them and they can exploit that position. Paul says we don't do that. We don't exploit, we don't enslave, and we don't abuse. He exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. It is incredible how some people can get into relationships in churches which are exploitative and abusive. And some people almost want that. I want to be very, very, very careful here, but sometimes in, um, I've come across our, this strange phenomenon, which is recognized, that a woman can be in a relationship with a man who is incredibly abusive, and that relationship ends, but the next relationship she enters into is with a man who is incredibly abusive. Now, that is not to say this is a woman who is basically saying, go on, beat me up, and it's someone who deserves it. It's not saying that at all, but it is saying this. 
that sometimes we put ourselves in situations. Why are we doing it? And that happens in spiritual terms as well. Thinking of uh, something that Calvin said, and I am uh, very intrigued by this. In commenting on this, he says, It's been the invariable custom to resist and contradict absolutely the servants of God, to get enraged on the least occasion, to grumble and murmur incessantly, to complain of even a moderate strictness, to hold all discipline in, in abhorrence, while on the other hand, they put themselves under servile subjection to false apostles, impostors, or even worthless pretenders. And what Calvin was saying is a phenomenon that I've noticed as well, that sometimes you get Christians who, when they're faced with a pastor who's trying to be biblical, moan and complain and groan, but then along comes a pastor who's not being biblical, is very strong and assertive and controlling and manipulative and even abusive, and people go along with that. Calvin's own example that he used was about the Pope, because the papacy in that day wasn't nice, gentle Francis. It was the very opposite. The papacy in, in that day, you could argue, was anti-Christian, the way that it abused and attacked Christians. And Calvin went on to say, there's scarcely one in 30 under Christ's yoke, while all have endured with patience a tyranny so severe as that of the Pope. Isn't it extraordinary that people will not put up with what they perceive to be weakness in their spiritual leadership, but then put up with those who will abuse. That's good, strong leadership. Paul says, no, we were too weak to do that. He then goes on to talk about boasting. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger, uh, <clears throat> sorry, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. The super apostles opposed to Paul boasted about their Jewishness. Paul says, I can beat that. I'm going to talk like you. I'm going to talk like a fool. He said, I'm a Hebrew. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. By the way, the difference there is Israelites were the Jews, accordingly, in general. Uh, Hebrew meant from Palestine. I come from Palestine. Paul said, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Abraham's descendant, so am I. Servant of Christ, so am I. But note when Paul talks about being a servant of Christ, note what he doesn't say. And this I find absolutely fascinating. I hadn't noticed this. He doesn't talk about the apostles he knew. 
He doesn't name drop. He doesn't say when me and Peter were chin-wanning about, about this, it was fine. He doesn't say when I met Jesus. He doesn't talk about all the churches that he's planted. He doesn't talk about all the books he's written, uh, including so much of the New Testament. Look at the list that he puts up. It's a list which is deliberately designed to be mocked by the super apostles, by those who are looking for strength instead of weakness. Verse 23, I've been in prison many times. Verses 23 to 25, I've been beaten, I've been bruised, I've, I've received the, the 40 lashes minus one, which would take you almost to the point of death, five times. Verse 26, I've had frequent journeys. Verse 27, toils and hardships, I couldn't sleep. Verse 28 and 29, the pressure and anxiety for all the churches. It's a list that is designed to make people mock him. Now, incidentally, what's, what's fascinating about this list is that if you go through the whole book of Acts, there's only one stoning, one whipping, and one shipwreck mentioned. There is so much more going on in Paul's life that's not mentioned in the Bible. And Paul says, this is the mark of my Christian leadership. There was opposition. I got tired. I was under pressure. I had to work hard. And I suffered. And there was a great spiritual burden. Again, Calvin. Now from Paul's words we may infer that no one can have a heartfelt concern for the churches without being harassed with many difficulties. For the government of the church is no pleasant occupation in which we may exercise ourselves agreeably and with delight of heart, but a hard and severe warfare, as has been previously mentioned. Satan from time to time giving as much trouble as he can and leaving no stone unturned to annoy us. If you're an elder... Think about those words. There's a tradition growing up in the church in Scotland, in the Presbyterian churches at least, that church leadership, being an elder, is kind of like an honorary badge. No, it's not. It's a call to battle. There's a tradition growing up in the evangelical church overall about people being in leadership, and we want to be in leadership. And, and Paul says, it's not. This is not what it is like. It's a hard and severe warfare. It's not a pleasant occupation. Now it's not saying, Paul's not saying my life is utterly miserable. But he is saying this is really, really difficult. This is hard, hard going. So our Greek super apostles were looking and mocking Paul for being weak. And Paul stands up and says, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I've been beaten I've been imprisoned. I really suffer. I haven't been able to cope with the pressure from the churches. And he's going to go on to give an example of weakness. And that comes in this last bit. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That comes from Acts 9, 23 to 25. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. 
but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, two things to say about that passage. Firstly, going back to the who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. I think that that can also refer not only to Paul empathizing with people's weakness, but I think it's Paul saying, every temptation you've had, I've had. Every wrong thing that you've been tempted to do, I've gone there as well. And I think that makes sense of the last bit, because to me the last few verses don't make sense if you regard them how we normally regard them, as a kind of boy's own adventure. Oh, how exciting. Paul was being attacked and he managed to escape in a basket. What a superhero. And Paul's not doing that. He's, he's actually going the opposite way. See, the context here is that for the Greeks... Their idea of a hero was Alexander going into a city, climbing over the wall and conquering the city. This is Paul running away and he's running away in a Tesco trolley, right? It's not very glamorous. This was a shopping basket. It's not, you know, um, it was used for hay and straw and bales of wood. Paul is saying, I'm a man who runs away. When this happened, when this city was sealed, I was there and I didn't go out and say, go on then, I'm going to preach Jesus to you and suffer martyrdom, which became a thing in the early church. He said, I ran away. And he gives the most humiliating example he could think of. He left in a Tesco trolley. Now this is where it's so counterintuitive to us. Paul is saying... I'm going to boast of my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He's saying, I'm going to admit that I suffer from depression. I'm a bit of a coward. I get things wrong. There's a, it's so contrary to what people expect. Now I want to apply this in in particular ways. I want to apply it in a, a a very personal way, first of all, and I want to then apply it in a general way to each of us. First of all, the personal way. Um, I don't like doing this, but I'm doing what Paul does. I'm speaking as a fool. And what I mean by this, I I want to share something. As as I read through this, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm just, I feel so like Paul in so many ways. Now, not with the gifts and all the rest of it, but just I could identify with it so much. And let me explain why. I hope this will be helpful to you. Uh, my granddad was strict original brethren, Derbyite brethren, uh, which meant he didn't like ministers. And when I started going along to the free church, when I went to the Baptist, it was bad enough. But when I started going to the free church, he got a bit um, worried. And just before he died, I went to see him. And there was two things he asked me. One was, don't ever join a union, um, which was, I thought was quite funny. Uh, and he based that on First Timothy, uh, that no man should be a striker. Now, I pointed out to him that wasn't the, the, <laughs> the right understanding. But nonetheless, I had an interesting conversation with my granddad. And then he said, I have a suspicion that you're going to become a minister. And I swallowed and said, um, yes, granddad. And he didn't like any minister at all. He said, promise me one thing. I said, what's that? You'll never wear a dog collar. I promise you, granddad. So, and I never have. I never have. He says, promise me you'll never wear a dog collar. 
And he talked about it. He said, I just don't want you to be a normal minister. Because he had a particular idea. I remember being outside a Dutch church once and I heard the two elders talking. They didn't realize that I understood Dutch. And their conversation, briefly paraphrased, was, look at him. But yes, he's not a proper minister. He's not a proper domine, is how they put it. And I want to confess to you, I struggle with the whole idea of being a proper minister at a personal level. First place I preached was a place called Ardnamurkin, the furthest west point on the Scottish mainland. Um, I uh, had gone to see someone who came from there, Professor Douglas Macmillan in the Free Church College. And I'd gone to see him and said to him, I'm going to give up um, my course. And he said, why? I said, because I can't preach like you. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I can't shout like you do. He was a great shouter, a brilliant preacher. And he said something to me, which I've never forgotten. He said, David, I really wish I didn't shout. He said, I was just copying somebody else, and it's now part of my nature. He said, whatever you do, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Be yourself. It was very dangerous advice. I went to preach in Arden American, and the first service I preached at, there were six people in this building. And after I preached, I pronounced the benediction, and I opened my eyes, and they were gone. And I thought, oh, dear, I've really upset them. And I went out, and they were all standing at the corner of the church, at the car park, having a cigarette. And I, I went into the manse all on my own, didn't even get to shake hands with them. I was so depressed, and I was so fed up. And then I remembered what Douglas Millen said. He said, be yourself. So during the week, I was walking through the village, and uh, I saw some boys playing football. And I went up to them and said, excuse me, uh, do you mind, can I have a game with you? And they said, aye, Sure. So I went away to get my boots. And when I came back, they stopped their game and they said, uh, they started arguing. And then they said, come over here. And I went over and they said, look, tell them what you're doing. And I said, well, I'm a free church student training to be a minister. And I'm here for six weeks to preach in the church. And one of the boys said, see, tell you he was a minister. And then the other said, no, but he's not a proper one. And I thought, where do I go with this? Now, God blessed us while we were there. And at the end of six weeks, uh, that congregation had grown to about 40 uh, because there was a curiosity and an interest. But I've never forgotten that whole thing. That, and, I've, and I've heard it throughout uh, my life uh, as a minister. I've heard it. People will say things, ah, he's not a proper minister. One day he'll grow into be a proper minister. And I'm not even sure what that really means. It's, in, it's like um, poor Annabelle. Sometimes I've heard said about Annabelle, oh, she's not a proper minister's wife. Now that's even more fascinating. What does that mean? And do you know what I think is going on? I think it's an image. I think it's an idea. And I think Paul is talking about that here. He's saying, you would be glad if I fitted your image, but I don't fit your image. I would have to confess, if you're talking about boasting about weaknesses, that I would do that. I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you right now that there are things, I, I mean, I'm very arrogant. I'm very visionary. I see things. And I wreak havoc wherever I go almost. The first sermon I ever preached was from Acts 17. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here also. That's because I liked the original AV translation, these men who have turned the world upside down. I know that I have many weaknesses, but I understand what Paul says when he says, I will boast of my weaknesses. And here's why. Because God has blessed 
and it's in spite of me rather than because of me. And as a Christian preacher you, and as a Christian leader, you can just feel an enormous relief that that is the case. What God has done, he has done because of Christ. This is the word of God that is being preached, not my word. Granted, it's truth communicated through personality. Granted that you want the preacher to be faithful. Granted that you want an example as well. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to it is the word of God and it is the work of God. And that's why the kind of super leaders who you never see any fault in, who've got just everything from the shiny teeth to the shiny car to the, to the shiny personality. That's why actually that's a, a, a real problem and a real difficulty. And that's where I come in for, for all of us with this. This is the encouragement. Some people go, oh yeah, Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Well, amen, Exactly. It's exactly what it is. And guess what? I'm the weak and you're the weak. If you think you're strong, you are in big, big trouble. Paul doesn't despise weakness. He takes the Greeks on at their own game and he he basically empathizes with it. He says, you're accusing me of this and I'm going, yes, and it's even worse than you think. What does Jesus say? He says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, do you see what that means? Are you weak? Are you struggling? Are you conscious of your own sins and faults? Are you embarrassed by what you have done? Are you embarrassed by how you have let Christ down? John Flavel, the Puritan, puts it beautifully. I read it this week, and I'm so thankful to the Lord um, for giving me just a desire to read and, uh, and I pick up so many things. And this is what I read from Flavel this week. Happy were it. If puzzled and perplexed Christians would turn their eyes from the defects that are in their obedience to the fullness and completeness of Christ's obedience and see themselves complete in him when most lame and defective in themselves. Do you hear that? Happy, happy. If you're a puzzled and perplexed Christian, If you turn your eyes away from your own disobedience, the defects in your own obedience, and instead you turn to the fullness and completeness of Christ's obedience. I once had someone come up and say, you let me down. I said, yes, I did. I'm sorry. But it's the second time you've done it. Yes, I'm sorry. But you've got another 477 times to go before this becomes serious before you're allowed to not forgive me. They didn't appreciate that. They were very hurt, very wounded, very angry. Why? Because they were looking for fullness and completeness and perfection in another sinful human being, and it ain't ever going to happen. It's not going to happen with your, your husband or your wife or your children or your friends or your pastor or your elder or your best friend or whatever. It's not going to happen. But there is a fullness and completeness in Christ's obedience. And you see, when when an apostle like Paul can write to a church like the Corinthians, which was all messed up, and can say to them, I am weak. I am weak. And I glory in that. 
because it means that what's been done in you through my ministry has been done not because of my strength, but it's been done because of Jesus Christ. I love, um, sorry, I'll go back one. I love uh, the glory of the gospel that it's good news about Christ. And that's where I really want to apply it to each one of you. Because you can sit here right now and you can be pretending to be something that you are not. You can pretend to be a really strong Christian and you're not and it's fake. But actually, why are you doing that? God knows anyway. The great thing about the gospel is you do come to Christ as you are. So if you're guilty, Jesus forgives. If you're weak, Christ gives strength. If you're afraid, Christ gives boldness. There is nothing that you need that Christ does not have. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I'll finish with just this one, uh, again, personal illustration. I feel that in our spiritual lives, in our lives in general, we're a bit like the, the way um, that I was before I uh, collapsed after a wedding here and became seriously ill and almost died. I thought that physically I was fine, I could do anything. I knew I was aging, I knew in my head that one day I would die. But to find yourself not able to breathe, struggling, not able to walk, it was a huge, huge wake-up call in lots of ways. I think that some of us spiritually think, yeah, we're fine, we're doing great. And we, we carry on in our own strength. And then we get hit with something, and then we get hit with something else, and then we get hit with something else. And we collapse and we think, I'm too weak. We go the opposite. I can't cope. How can I cope with this pressure that's on me? How can I cope with these circumstances I've got to face? How can I cope with my own sin? Lord, don't show me anymore. Don't give me anymore. It's already too much. And the Lord says, finally, you've got it. You are weak. You cannot breathe without me. You cannot move without me. You cannot live as a believer without me. But I'm here. And I think that's where Paul is boasting and glorying. He's saying, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. But I glory in Christ. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. I glory in Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that every single person here knows that without Christ, you have got nothing. But with Christ... You have absolutely everything. Let's pray. Lord, we confess our weakness. And it's more than weakness. We are not able to do anything without you except sin. And so we come to you and we seek your face. We ask forgiveness for our false boasting. We ask forgiveness for our illusions and our trusting in illusions. And we pray instead that you would help us to hold on to you. 
Strip away the things that cause our vision to be distorted. And may you be our vision, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.